Hello, everyone. I'm Harpreet Singh, welcoming you to the Future Work Pioneers podcast. Today, we are speaking with Tanuj Kapilashrami, the CHRO at Standard Chartered. Tanuj leads the employee experience of 85,000 employees globally with Standard Chartered's presence in 60 markets. Before joining Standard Chartered, Tanuj worked with HSBC for 17 years. She's currently a board member of the UK Financial Services Skills Commission and Asia House, which is a London-based center of expertise on trade, investment, and public policy with a mission to drive engagement between Asia and Europe. Tanuj, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Harpreet. So let's begin with your background. Uh, HR function requires a multidisciplinary background and appreciation of diversity. And you've been fortunate to have spent time across continents and geographies. How has this background uh, shaped you as a senior HR leader? Uh, perhaps you can talk about that. Thanks, Harpreet. And first, it's, it's great to be on this podcast. So thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I, as, 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 as you rightly said, have been in, in HR uh, profession for many, many years. Uh, prior to that, my academic background is in uh, economics, math, statistics. So, you know, my, my background sort of always been in, in data, business. Uh, um, I spent the first 10 years working in Asia. So Hong Kong, Singapore, India, um, worked in London, but then went to the Middle East for a few years. So worked across Middle East and Africa, came back to London uh, a couple of years ago now, seven years ago, and my current role based out of London. How does that sort of help? I think, you know, we are, the role I do currently, as you say, across 60 markets, we are an emerging markets bank. And uh, I think the uh, a multidisciplinary experience across various parts of HR, uh, but also an exposure to various markets uh, gives you uh, the cultural understanding of our footprint, which is actually quite important uh, in landing uh, some big programs and initiatives. I know we are going to talk about future of work uh, today. It's hugely important because a lot of the thinking is very Western centric, has traditionally been very Western centric. Uh, we are trying to take some of the best uh, of that thinking research, we're trying to land it in markets, we are incredibly fast growing, uh, you know, that, that are sort of accelerating the pace of change, parts of Africa, Asia, uh, parts of Middle East, and having a, a cultural understanding uh, of, of those markets, I think becomes hugely uh, beneficial. I'm also a firm believer that the best solutions come from people who are closest to the problems. And I, I think one of the things I consciously do, having worked in some of the markets, met our clients, met our customers in those markets, is even in my current role, keep going back uh, to our frontline colleagues across these markets and testing some of the ideas with them because that's hugely important. As you rightly said, a large part of my professional experiences within financial services but I sit on the board of uh, a big retail business in, in UK, Sainsbury, which is a big grocery chain. And I found that experience hugely valuable as well because it's a different sector, but some of the challenges around people, culture, 
um, uh, are similar and bringing in those learnings into my day job is, is, is a huge, uh, huge opportunity for me as well. It's very interesting that you mentioned that uh, exporting a Western model to an Eastern market doesn't always work. Can you give us some sense of what that means? How, perhaps an example where um, a good idea that seemed like a good idea didn't, didn't work in, in a non-Western context? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, um, I'm getting into dangerous territory with uh, uh, an academic like you on this one, Harpreet. But um, I think some of the traditional models around leadership, uh, especially when it comes to a female leadership, you know, what do women need to do to get into leadership positions, have traditionally been based a lot around boardrooms in the West. So this idea of leaders need to, you know, the, the idea of leadership presence, the sort of gravitas or contribution is very, very driven by boardrooms in the West. And as we are taking some of that into markets in Asia and Africa, it's not that that principle and thinking is wrong, but there is an active contextualization to those markets and those cultures that we need to do. I think when you come to diversity and inclusion, it becomes quite interesting as well, because the whole idea of uh, inclusion uh, or uh, uh, diversity in these markets where cultural norms are very different has been quite interesting. So, you know, it's, it's not that the research is wrong. It's just that we are looking at a cultural context where societal norms are very different. Um, you know, uh, people get into certain roles that are imposed by the society. And we are trying to uh, impose, like, we're trying to talk about a much more inclusive culture and how do we balance the two is an interesting, uh, interesting experience. Let's talk about uh, future work. I, I would be interested to understand from your perspective what it looks like specifically for financial services, right? Because it, for, it, 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 the definition uh, varies from industry to industry, but are there any salient things that one needs to worry about when we think about future work in your industry? Yeah, you know, uh, one thing is that the bank, um, Standard Chartered is largely an emerging markets bank. Uh, so, you know, future work, uh, uh, which, you know, flexible working is a huge part of it, uh, even though the whole concept is much broader. It's about agility in its broadest of sense. But um, many of the markets, uh, especially in financial services, had never experienced any level of flexible working, either because of regulatory constraints. You know, we are a highly regulated industry. The large, many of our jobs are, um, they're very clear regulatory standards and how those roles need to be done. But also culturally, the idea that, you know, in UK where I work in London, quite a few of our colleagues have traditionally worked one or two days from home was not something that had ever happened across many of our markets. Pandemic struck and, uh, you know, literally overnight, you know, in a matter of days, we had 80 to 85% of our global workforce uh, working from home. So it was um, uh, overnight, the sort of rules of the game changed for us significantly. And um, in, in many parts of our footprint, apart from very few branches uh, or, uh, you know, service centers, which we, we, which we had to keep open up, were able to keep open, rest of the work was being done remotely, which was both a, a cultural challenge, it was an infrastructure challenge because, you know, to even equip our colleagues with the infrastructure, especially in operations role, you know, traditional banking operations, which was physically done in premises was a, a, a big, big change. 
And as we are coming out of the lockdown in many of our markets and you know, various stages of coming out of the crisis, we are taking the learnings of last year and embedding that into a sustainable, flexible working approach. And in that case, for us, among the stakeholders are not just our, our colleagues, you know, our leaders, our clients, but it's also the regulators, uh, which is, uh, you know, a key stakeholder for us across many of these markets. So I think that, for me, would be perhaps a key area of difference uh, in our sector. Mm-hmm. You've talked about uh, redesigning employee experience and how it's a shared responsibility and, uh, you know, across uh, functions, across management roles. Uh, can you share your journey in implementing some of the changes uh, which you've led when, it's, when it comes to redefining employee experience at Standard Chartered? Yeah, I mean, look, I will stick to the future of work theme. I mean, one of the things I did very early on in my uh, stint is uh, uh, got much before the much before COVID got an employee experience council, which is jointly chaired by our technology officer and me, and and the idea was that while uh, HR is you know is not the only part of the bank that is responsible for owning the employee experience, so employee experience is not just how you apply for leave on the HR system and how it gets improved, approved. It's much broader than that. Somebody needs to play the role in curating that employee experience and. In our case, uh, it was me with support of our chief technology officer that came together in what we called an employee experience forum, where we got everyone in the bank. So, uh, you know, various aspects of that experience, you know, from property, technology, product design for our customers, um, risk management aspects. So, you know, when you look at sort of cyber risk management control, all of the senior leaders together to get this very clear lens around as we are designing controls, risk frameworks, uh, products for our customers, uh, are we keeping a very strong employee experience lens or not? And you know, it comes from my very strong belief, uh, which I've always had that actually in HR, we are product managers and our product is employment. And like any good product manager, you would get experience into your design thinking with whatever you do. So, you know, we had an employee experience forum, which proved to be one of the most valuable assets we had uh, as the crisis struck, because very early in our employee experience forum, and the experience forum, you know, it's, it's, it's a great group of people, very senior leaders. Uh, and, you know, we talk about irritants, you know, we look at design, but very early on, under the banner of our employee experience forum, we took the decision that we are going to leverage the best coming out of the crisis to fundamentally revire how work gets done in Standard Chartered going forward. And we launched this very ambitious program, which we call Future of Work Now. You know, it's not the future anymore. The future of work has arrived. Mm-hmm. And that piece of work, which was jointly led by HR, property, and technology, um, has been working and we've had some really good successes. So A, about how do you implement flexible working at scale? Uh, so, um, you know, what is our point of view around hybrid working? What do our employees really want? Um, uh, implement flexible working at scale, but also uh, a lot of the work around redesigning how work gets done. So, you know, the flexibility is not just about home working. It's about taking an approach to looking at design of work across all of our job families and forming a view uh, at at the job level. So it's been incredible. We launched uh, the the formal infrastructure around flexibility at scale. And this is not just home, it's location, time, flexibility, 
in our top eight markets early this year. Uh, and in those top eight markets, we employ 45% of our workforce. So it's a substantial chunk of our workforce. And from 1st of April, we are going to go live with formal arrangements for 84% of our colleagues who are going to get into formal flexible working arrangements, which is location time, as compared to 10%, under 10% uh, before uh, uh, the formal project was launched. So in, in some ways, it's fundamentally sort of redesigning. So it's, so it's been flexibility, but it's also been about redesigning property. How do our properties look like? We have uh, done an arrangement with near shore, a near office, near home provider. So for colleagues to get together in these business lounges, which provides an optionality for them to consider how work gets done. So, so it's been really interesting to think about future of work, not just from terms and condition contract type, but think of it holistically um, based on employee experience. You, you very interestingly, you mentioned that um, you also need to kind of think about not just the space, but also you need to think about the actual job function, uh, redesigning that. Can, can you give us an example of uh, perhaps pick, pick one uh, that that uh, had to be redesigned and how you went about doing it? Yeah. So like I said, um, uh, in this entire piece of work, we took a very data-led approach. So, you know, we, we were very conscious from the beginning that we are not going to design something based on our preference. And that for me, if there's one insight that I can share, as sometimes as senior leaders, uh, a, a lot of our thinking gets driven by our preference or what we have heard last from people we've spoken to. And we took a very, very data-led approach to this work. So right from the beginning, we dialed up employee listening. And during the course of last year, we went to our colleagues three times, two times via anonymous survey, and the third time with a formal expression of interest process, where we asked them to show us their preference, you know, tell us how do you want to do work going forward, which is, do you want flexibility? You know, how much of flexibility do you want? Uh, is it just location time? Is it location in terms of home and office or is it another country? So we got huge amount of data, which, and at every point in time, the moment we designed something, we went back and validated that thinking with 86,000 colleagues. And that was a the critical part of the design was, we are not designing on the basis of our preference. We are designing on the basis of what our colleagues are telling us uh, and bringing that insight into work. While that piece of work was bottom up, we complemented that work with a job family analysis. So all of our job families, all 144 of them, we made an assessment of what can be done with greater level of flexibility and what are the tweaks that are needed to deliver that on flexibility. Now, some jobs in a, in a bank uh, cannot be done flexibility. A teller in a branch, for example, or a trader, right? And uh, this is both regulatory, the nature of the job. But interestingly, we realized that over 80% of our jobs can be done with much greater flexibility than they were being done previously. And, you know, uh, so, so, so for us, that piece of work was really, really important because, you know, they, you got to combine employee preference with a, a formal assessment done at the job level, because that's where you assess impact to client, you know, management of risk. And in making an assessment of level of flexibility in the job, we actually spoke a lot uh, to use the principle to really accelerate a move towards agile working in the organization. So what we said was, this is also a great opportunity for us to determine not just jobs that can be done with a level of flexibility, 
but actually reinvent and reintroduce in a big way, new ways of working across the company. So the idea of agile squads coming together, people come together for a purpose, the purpose are retrospectives, you know, the, the purpose is as opposed to in the past where people came together to actually, the people came into offices to just get their BAU work done. So the idea was going back and challenging ourselves on <coughs> level of flexibility in the jobs, but then also introducing new ways of working in the company in a big way so that when we launched hybrid, so we came out with a very clear intent of going hybrid, the idea of colleagues coming together was much more purposeful and intentional you know, in service of solving biggest problems facing the bank, innovation, collaboration, as opposed to pushing paper or uh, you know, doing sort of traditional forms of work. So, so that's the sort of design approach that we took in the work. This episode is brought to you by Experfy. Incubated in Harvard Innovation Lab, Experfy provides custom future of work solutions, such as private talent clouds and skill taxonomies. Experfy differentiates itself by using subject matter experts to pre-vet and pipeline candidates for AI and high-end technology skills. However, Experfy Talent Cloud Platform is skill agnostic and can be licensed to build custom talent clouds for any and all skills. In a different use case, enterprises interested in employee intermobility can license the Experfy platform to create an internal gigs marketplace where interested employees can be algorithmically matched to projects, gamifying their learning experience. Visit www.experfy.com for more information. The role of the CHRO has been elevated because of the pandemic. Uh, like many of your colleagues uh, in other firms, uh, uh, the, the, uh, there's a distinct need to partner with the senior leadership. Um, uh, so, so tell us about how this has evolved uh, internally at Standard Chartered. Uh, how, how are you working with your leadership team uh, you know, throughout the pandemic and, and how that's going to continue? You know, I always say this to my team. Uh, uh, my generation also lived through the financial crisis, the big financial crisis. And I keep saying to my team, the financial crisis belonged to the CFOs in banks. Uh, this is a humanitarian crisis. And this was, this belongs to uh, the HR function and CHROs in the bank. And, um, you know, in a year where just dealing with the crisis would have been enough, right? Because bear in mind, at its peak, we were talking about health concerns, security, safety concerns across 60 markets. Um, you know, it, that sort of the initial concerns around staff safety, well-being moved to the second order concerns, you know, burnout, uh, you know, ensuring that, you know, we were able to lead inclusively. You know, it then led to how do we land basic HR processes? You know, how do you performance manage? You know, how do you reward? So, while management of the crisis would have been enough, I'm incredibly proud of how not just my HR function, but I think many HR functions used the opportunity last year to accelerate the trends that we had been talking about for a very, very long time. So I actually believe that the silver lining, if there is any in this crisis is that it has helped us fundamentally challenge uh, conventional norms around leadership, around work, worker and workplaces. And, uh, you know, it, there are so many great examples of companies that have done it. And, you know, I am incredibly proud of how 
my team and my function sort of stood up, uh, you know, rose to the challenge of becoming real thought leaders. So, you know, not passive followers of the agenda, but sort of really leading on uh, what does this mean for our colleagues and for our leaders and, and actually being agile and flexible in, in changing the approach. A lot of work traditionally was done. On the topic of uh, upskilling and reskilling, Standard Chartered all, already has an existing initiative of providing learning content that's accessible to your entire workforce with AI personalization. Can you share some of the successes and challenges uh, that you experienced in implementing something like that? So, uh, you know, in addition to the broader future of work now, which was flexible working redesigner work, the two other areas we uh, pushed in a big way last year was this uh, initiative around reskilling, upskilling at scale, and uh, the idea of democratizing access to talent, which uh, you know I'd love to talk to you about as well. But but let's stick to the former, right? The crisis told us that that was the best opportunity we saw last year of seeing innovation empowerment at scale, right? So, you know, suddenly we moved away due to necessity, uh, you know, uh, a very, very rules-based culture, which is traditionally what companies like mine have been to a principles-based culture. And we told our colleagues, you know, these are the high level principles, but we want you to do the best uh, for your clients and colleagues. And our 86,000 colleagues, 14,000 people leaders rose to the challenge in an exceptional way, right? I mean, you know, if you look at customer service stats, you know, if you look at sort of business performance, if you look at sort of management or just regular operations, productivity, uh, the, the, the scores have been phenomenally high. We spent quite a bit of time thinking about, so what is the insight? And the insight is that the days of us being prescriptive to people around you know, what they should learn, how they should learn, how should they do their job is going away. And a huge part of uh, coming out of this crisis is uh, empowerment, democratizing access, and uh, hyper-personalization. So the work that we did around our learning agenda was based on these three insights. And um, in the middle of a full lockdown, we migrated our traditional learning management system to a new AI-based um, learning management system. Um, you know, like I said, it, it's, a, it's a big change because the, the whole premise is the, the model works like LinkedIn. So depending on what you consume, which is based on the growth plan and, and, and uh, that you set for yourself, content gets curated, the best of internal and external get content gets curated for you. Um, and, and gets delivered to you a uh, bite-sized chunk. It was a big cultural shift. So, you know, your, your line manager was not now nominating you for a program for which you had to book and take time out. You were able to consume learning in a way uh, that suited you uh, and not just stuff that made you better at the job that you are doing, but also give you an opportunity to reskill in areas of the bank where we knew that the demand for skills is going to be much greater in the future. And the take-up was phenomenal, Harpreet. I mean, it, it was absolutely phenomenal. We had within months of the launch of our platform, which we call Discover, uh, we had um, um, 75, 80% of our workforce on the platform. The percentage of repeat users we have on the platform is among the highest. So, you know, 
the, the underlying technology that, that we use is, is used by many large companies. And, and, and we monitor the data very, very closely. Not only are we getting people coming into the platform, we are seeing people who are staying on it uh, much longer. So we drove that. But then very quickly, we launched 10 future-focused academies. And this was a combination of both technical and human skills. So digital data, uh, sustainability, but also uh, you know, inclusion, uh, how to think about managing ambiguity, how to manage change. And we launched 10 future-focused academies via our Discover platform and had uh, now curated learning pathways for colleagues to uh, upskill themselves um, in areas if they are in these roles, but also reskill themselves, uh, especially if they are in parts of the bank uh, that are not touched as much by digital and data uh, as other parts of the bank are. So it's been a, it's been a great experiment. So the, uh, the these learning platforms they've, they've come a long way, uh, you know, from, from the traditional LMSs to what we see now, but personalization is still not as good as it should be. So I, I, what, are, what are some of the things that you think that could be improved uh, when it comes to such platforms? You know, it's, it's great because I spent some time with my team, my Discover team today to do our own retrospective on the launch. So, you know, uh, coming to uh, just about a year of launching it, uh, can we just sort of look back and do our own retrospective? And there were some really interesting insights that came from the team. When we launched it last year, the big focus was adoption. You know, uh, the, the huge focus on adoption, building a strong learning culture, you know, moving learning from regulatory, mandatory, pushed from the center to pull, moving to future focus skills. And we drove adoption in a big way and we saw great success. But within a year of doing that, it's become very, very clear to us that the challenge with some of these platforms is just too much content. Right. You know, it's overwhelming. Right. And there is just so much stuff in there that colleagues are saying, I absolutely love it. But I'm just staggered and I'm just absolutely overwhelmed. And um, while it was a very conscious choice to drive adoption, we are very clearly and very quickly going to phase two of our piece of work, which is being very intentional uh, in curating learning pathways and learning journeys that are actually from X to Y. So we are basically saying, this is our point of view on the kind of jobs where the demand is going to be much greater. How have we reached that conclusion? Because we've done a very detailed strategic workforce planning work. We know that these are going to be the jobs. We also know that these are the jobs where we are going to need lesser people going forward. And we have done a basic skills matching between jobs where we need less to jobs where we need more. And what we are now taking with the journey is writing to colleagues and inviting them to participate in a curating learning pathway uh, with accreditations, uh, with project-based sort of assignment, leveraging our talent marketplace with a very clear outcome that this reskilling will translate into redeployment into future focus roles. Because that is where the commercial business case of all of this comes to life, right? You know, when you are able to meet the demand that we have for data scientists, you know, product managers, scrum masters, cybersecurity professionals, when you are able to meet at least some of the demand through internal deployment of talent, that is when the real commercial case around reskilling comes through. So I guess 
you know, my, my only observation from being part of the journey is technology is absolutely great because for us to be able to do it at scale would have been impossible if we were working at the back of our old system. But just by plugging in really sexy technology does not mean that you are able to deliver uh, 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 a reskilling agenda into the organization. And there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done, both from an infrastructure, uh, but also creating the right enablers to be able to get skills translating into actual employment. You, you've talked about uh, mapping job roles and skills, a lot of the work that you've done. So when you think about uh, skills of the future uh, for, for the financial industry specifically, what, what, what do those skills look like? Uh, you know, some of them are obviously, uh, that would be the same for any sector, in any industry. You know, we are talking about digital in a big way. We are talking about data uh, in, in, a, in a very big way, in its broadest of sense, it's data analytics, uh, gets into AI, uh, but then sort of associated role, ethics, privacy, uh, governance. Uh, so, you know, broad set of roles within data, broad set of roles within digital. We are talking about sustainability in a big way, sustainable finance, and what does that mean in terms of capability and relationship managers, but also risk professionals, uh, uh, and, and other uh, experts that you need. So we're talking about sustainability as, as a bucket. We're talking about new ways of working as a, a, a bucket on its own, because this idea of moving away from longer cycles to a shorter way of product development and bringing customer insights into it, it's by itself a big area of opportunity, I believe, in financial services. So, so that's the sort of area we are picking up. Uh, we are talking about... Uh, 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 future client, future consumer as a technical segment, because I think it's really important, especially for frontline to understand how consumer preferences are changing. So, so that's all the technical skills. Like I said, we are also focusing on human skills uh, as a specific academy. So we are within that, the idea of inclusive leadership is something we are talking about in a big way. Managing amb ambiguity, uh, you know, managing ambiguity being a core competence of leaders going forward, is, is um, a, a skill that we have picked up that we are going after in one of our academies as well. You, you've, you've talked about uh, this idea of a marketplace that you've built uh, and you know very much reminds me of a lot of these gig marketplaces out there. So, so talk about uh, what that initiative is and uh, what, what was the impetus behind it? I mean, you know, the impetus was a very clear insight and that's been the impetus for our whole reskilling agenda. And I think of the marketplace as a part of our overall reskilling agenda. The whole, the insight was, um, you know, a, 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 a fairly recent Deloitte research, which says 37 to 40% of employees surveyed find it easier to find a job externally than they, they find it to find a job internally. And, you know, that led to a huge amount of introspection in, in me and my team. Uh, and to say, how do we turn that on its head, right? You know, how do we create an environment where matching of uh, skills, so both demand and supply can be done uh, in a way? And again, I feel technology is our friend in that. AI is a, is, 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 is a real friend in being able to do some of that matching. The other thing is a large percentage of our workforce are millennials. Uh, we did um, a piece of research actually a classic EVP research, what attracts people to Standard Chartered, why do they stay there? Uh, we went into the research thinking 
the compensation you know, in a bank would be uh, the number one re uh, reason. It was the, the number one reason in most markets, but career development and growth was very close second. And in many of our markets, parts of business, career development and growth was actually uh, 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 rated higher than compensation and reward. So, so this idea that if we can create an environment where people feel that there is a proactive matching of uh, uh, their skills to exciting opportunities, and we can link that to our reskilling agenda, it could be a really winning formula. And last year, we piloted our talent marketplace in India for 12,000 colleagues. And it's quite interesting, Harpreet, because when I spoke about it for the first time, uh, and it's gig, so you know this is not more than four to five hours a week of your time. And um, a lot of people are, you know, tr tr traditional colleagues or people who had been in banking for a long time said, oh, but are people going to get extra bonus for doing it? No. You know, are they going to get um, credits in their annual appraisal? No. Uh, are you uh, going to give them some kind of sort of recognition? No. Why are people going to do it? Well, people are going to do it because they are genuinely interested in their career development and growth. And actually, we know that the kind of people we employ are really excited about being part of excited, exciting pieces of work and exciting projects. So we did it as a pilot. Unfortunately, we got into complete lockdown. But even with that, in a six month period in India, we had 2,600 opportunities on the platform. And at the end of the six month pilot, we had 4,000 hours of unlocked productivity, which we were able to give back into the organization, right? So we were able to say that because of these projects and you know, crowdsourcing data skills, crowdsourcing communication skills, crowdsourcing basic HR skills for pieces of work that were being done by product managers or pieces of work that were being in technology teams, we were able to show that it unlocked 4,000 hours of productivity. It was a fantastic insight because basically if, Tanuj is working on an exciting product for our uh, cash uh, management product for our customers. She really needs three weeks of data skills or you know, needs a data scientist for three weeks for four hours a day. In the old world, she would have to fill out a job spec, go to her line manager, have you know, conversations for a long time around budgets. We were able to circumvent all of that. And the feedback from both individuals who crowdsource for skills, but also individuals who gave their skills for the project was incredibly impressive and very, very positive. So we've taken insights from that six month experiment and we are taking that top talent marketplace globally this year. So we are taking it uh, across markets, but we are also linking it to big strategic pieces of work. So we are doing a lot of work around client journeys for our trade products, cash products, and we are linking marketplace to those innovative sort of journeys uh, to be able to uh, give our colleagues the opportunity to deploy their skills uh, in very, very exciting areas. Well, that's a fascinating uh, initiative. Have you found that uh, there are certain functional areas that have more traction, the, you know, both in terms of who's posting the projects and who's uh, performing the work? So, you know, that the matchmaking becomes important, but where, where do you see the most uh, uh, traction? Well, won't surprise you. Uh, the most traction is in technology and innovation ideas, areas, because, you know, 
uh, those parts of the bank have been uh, uh, traditionally uh, used to this way of working. And uh, you know, our initial traction was in those areas. But with any change like this, and it comes back to what are the core skills you need in HR, and I feel HR teams, the number one skill they need is strong data analytics within HR function. The other very strong skills that's needed is change management. So, you know, we've had to put huge amount of change management effort. And what we have found is that while the lead was taken by our technology and ventures teams, you know, we've got sort of uh, ventures uh, as a big part of our technology areas, the close second became a lot of pieces of work which are linked to our um, sustainability, um, um, uh, you know, uh, pieces of work. So, you know, a, a lot of stuff around designing sustainable solution for clients, um, thinking about our own sustainability agenda. So very quickly, it also started areas like that where there is a big demand, but not uh, well-developed skills internally. And, and, and that sort of came as a, a close second. And won't surprise you that those are also the areas which people really want to be part of. You know, if, I, if I'm a communications expert or a data scientist, you know, or a cyber expert, I, I really would love to be able to give my time for a really exciting sustainability product that we are launching in, in Africa. So we've also found that those pieces of work or projects have got huge attention because uh, people feel that they can link their own sense of purpose into something uh, which is uh, very exciting for our customers. And, and Tanuj, are there any gatekeepers uh, to this marketplace or can anyone go and uh, post a project uh, and apply to a project? Well, uh, anyone who is part of the marketplace, so like I said, the first phase was largely India, we are taking it out, can put um, uh, put in a project, uh, you know, put in the hour, you know, what they require from it. And I've got a small sort of SME team that sort of monitors it, coaches, correct, you know, because it, 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 you do need it to be, you know, we also keep uh, track of uh, uh, who is using, how they are using it. So, so there is, a, you know, a lot, a lot of this, as well as the future of work now we did, because when we went live with asking our people to apply for flexibility, a lot of people said to me, oh, have you been prescriptive that they can apply for flexibility as long as it's only two days a week or working from home? that takes away uh, the whole idea of optionality, right? So, so to me, a huge part of this is that we want to have guardrails and principles, but it needs to be a platform that is owned by, run by and used by our, our colleagues. And, and that's a, a, a huge part of the design for us. So the uh, CHRO is also uh, a, a chief uh, culture officer in many ways. Uh, so when you think of building culture in a company, it's a lot easier when you're within uh, one geography, there's uh, homogeneity in, in, in you know, people. And, but when you operate across 60 markets, um, how, how, do you, how do you do that job? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, um, I think it is really important. I mean, uh, where that companies have a very clear North Star. I think it's really important that there is a very, very clear sense of what is the company's purpose and what are the expected standards of behaviors uh, in the company. One of the first things I did when I joined Stanchart four years ago was a piece of work around uh, refreshing our purpose statement. 
um, and uh, refreshing what I call, what we call, and we still call them valued behaviors, because this idea of traditional values um, to me felt very generic. Uh, you know, most companies had very similar sounding values. And what we said was that we are going to clearly articulate our purpose, but then crowdsource our valued behaviors with all our colleagues, because valued behaviors are not uh, the top five from a standard checklist of published values. You know, these are the, uh, the behaviors that are um, the guiding behaviors for all of us, irrespective of our cultural differences, depending on the, uh, on, on the part of the world that we come from. The piece on purpose has been really, really core uh, to the HR agenda. This question that if Stanchart uh, doesn't exist, what difference will it make to the world is, is a big question uh, uh, which uh, has guided our thinking and has been a real sort of North Star uh, that helps us be that cultural glue which holds everyone together. Um, this week, I've just come at the back of a three-day leadership team event we led uh, uh, for 420 of our senior most leaders across 60 markets, fully virtually, of course. Um, and a large part of that was not just focused on strategy, you know, new ways of working, people and culture, innovation, but also we started off with what are the stands that we want to take in the world, stands which are aligned to our purpose and stands that will help us play our part in rebuilding a better world as we come out of the pandemic. And I think those conversations and creating space for that conversation is really, really important because they become the unifying narrative across the organization and then they cut across uh, cultural, social differences that might exist between our markets. Any parting words for our audience? Well, I mean, I think this is such an exciting opportunity uh, for uh, the, the function for leaders within uh, HR. And, you know, personally, I'm just so excited by the legacy that we can leave behind uh, in, in terms of uh, building workplaces, you know, thinking about work and workers. Uh, in a way which is uh, future focused, which is non-hierarchical uh, and, uh, and, you know, which is a, a, a legacy that we can really, really be proud of. So, you know, for me, I think it's a really exciting opportunity and my strong encouragement to my team and other colleagues within the wider HR community to lean into this challenge and make the most of this opportunity. Thank you, Tanuj. It's been such a pleasure.